You are now tuned in to the official Science Season podcast. For everything Science Season, be sure to follow at Science Season on Instagram and subscribe to the website www.sciencesean.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whichever time you're listening to this podcast, you are officially tuning into the Science Season podcast, and I'm your host, Ayana Season. I just want to start off by saying thank you guys so much for all the support thus far. Um, this is episode two. I am joined by three um, lovely young women, Eileen, Kaylor, and Ashley, who will all introduce themselves after I introduce myself. If you don't know already, my name is Ayana. I was an Africana Studies and English double major at the University of Albany SUNY. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. What else should I tell the people, y'all? Um, I interned at the New York State Assembly last year. Um, and the topic of the day that we're going to dibble and dabble into and to an open discussion is the social injustices happening amongst the black and brown community and how we feel about it and solutions and things of that nature. So Eileen, whenever you want to jump in. Hey everyone. So like Ayana said, my name is Eileen Alvarez and Ayana, thank you again for having us and starting up this conversation that's super important to have. Um, I too went to the university at Albany. I graduated in 2019, so spring 2019, and I studied public policy um, administration with a concentration in world affairs. Currently, I work for a nonprofit organization named the Urban Justice Center, which is composed of 11 different projects. Specifically, I work for the homelessness um, prevention units where we focus on cases that are court involved and that are not court involved regarding um, housing issues such as rent arrears or like um, HP actions, which is when a landlord is not willing to perform um, upgrades in the apartment or repairs per se. Um, and then we also have like a special unit where we help um, those that need public benefits get their benefits up and running. Um, currently, the reason why I am very interested in this topic is because I've always been like a social activist. I believe that um, in unison, there's power. So um, again, thank you for having this podcast where we can all come together and speak about um, such a, a sensitive topic. Um, this, this topic is very prevalent, it's very real because um, we are losing our loved ones. We're losing people that um, haven't even created a family. Um, I know we're going to be speaking about different um, people that we have lost in recent um, days, um, but specifically like the three people that I think we're going to speak mostly about on um, their ages were 25, 26, and 46. So those three numbers are very prevalent in my mind. And again, Thank you very much. And Kayla, take it over. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Kayla Light. I'm currently a rising senior at the University at Albany. I double major in criminal justice and sociology with a minor in English. Um, I'm also a brother of the Phi Alpha Delta Law Fraternity. Same. And basically, I was um, an intern at the um, Community Justice Outreach Center, which is a binding department with the District Attorney's Office. And this um issue is, honestly, it goes without saying why this issue is important, because at the end of the day, I'm a Black woman, and 
this this affects me like this it doesn't have to happen directly to me for me to feel outraged it doesn't have to be at my front door for me to understand why this is so important um i'm just interested in this topic because i'm the future like i'm the next you know set of that working field and it's just really important for me to be jumping in on these conversations and having my voice to be heard because i am gonna embody i'm gonna be the change that i want to see i'm gonna embody it amen Alrighty, I'm last. Hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Mitchell. I graduated from the university at Albany in May of 2019. Um, I was a double major in criminal justice and sociology with a minor in homeland security. Uh, my current position, I am the restorative justice coordinator for the Albany County District Attorney's Office working in the Community Justice Outreach Center. Uh, the reason why this is so important to me is because I am a symbol of restoring justice. That's literally in my title. I run a program called CAB, which provides an alternative to the traditional cr uh, criminal justice responses and focuses on the repairing of the damages done to victims of crime, including the community. Um, I sit on a board with, you know, uplifting people with community, uh, cops that have been trained uh, in community policing and do understand the cultural aspect of why certain people commit crime. And it's interesting to have them on this board because it allows for a space for cops to be off duty and, you know, they don't disclose sometimes their position. Sometimes the defendants do find out. But with having cops involved in the process like this, the restorative justice process, it enables them to see a difference into understanding the reason why somebody committed a crime. And then when they're out policing, they'll have a different mindset when they approach people who are being accused of committing crimes. So that's the work that I do. You see, I told y'all these ladies is really dope. Um, I'm just going to jump right into the conversation. So for those of you listening and aren't really in tune or in cahoots, as Kayla loves to say, with what's going on currently, um, we're talking about Ahmad Arbery, who I will read out his story for you guys to know, was hunted and murdered by Gregory and Travis McMichael and Brian Williams while he was out for a run that took him through the predominantly white neighborhood of Satilla Shores. Um, Brianna Taylor was murdered in her own home during a wrong address raid on March 13th. Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, were asleep in their apartment when Louisville Metro Police showed up and started using a battering ram on the door. Hearing an invasion in progress, Kenneth Walker, reg a registered gun owner, grabbed his gun. Not knowing it was the police who were attempting this forced entry, Walker fired at the intruders, hitting Sergeant John Mattingly. And in his response, the police recklessly fired 22 times into the apartment, fatally hitting Breonna Taylor eight times and endangering others in other neighboring units. And lastly, we are discussing George Floyd who was um, murdered for the suspicion of using a counterfeit bill and just fitting the description that um, officers were given upon arrival. He was kneeled on on his neck until he could not breathe. Um, that's a lot to debrief, honestly. Um, this, this topic is very sensitive to me because I'm a Black woman before I'm anything else. Um, call it what you want if that's not an identity or a personality trait, but that's how I see myself. 
And the fact of the matter is my black and brown brothers, my black and brown sisters are being recklessly endangered daily. Um, It's like, I saw this tweet on Twitter. Um, Obviously, it's going to be on Twitter, Ayana, duh. And it said, being black is having a good day and then seeing another person was killed for no reason. And then you have to think about or talk about that all day. Or you don't and you numb yourself and it's a constant emotional war. And I definitely agreed with that because I used to be someone that would like try to shy away from conversations that we're having right now. Um, not to be ignorant or not of lack of in, like, you know, information, but just sometimes I don't want to discuss the negative that's going on around me because I feel like I'm giving rise to the negative. If that makes sense to you guys, if you guys are understanding me, you know, um, it's like it's draining that we have to wake up and see black and brown faces plastered on the news in such a negative light. And what even upsets me even more is like the news and the media will nitpick at the person and try to criminalize them and say like, hey, like George Floyd was X, Y, Z before they would say George Floyd was a father, a brother, an uncle. You know what I mean? But then we have these white men doing these mass murders in the schools and they'll say oh it was a mental health issue he was a loving son and it's like why like why does that happen and you know feel free to jump in um whenever but it's just it's it's draining and i feel as though we need to speak out and you know don't feel uncomfortable when seeing these things um but rather use your voice and say these people's names and not negatively bring rise to the conversation, but, you know, in a positive manner, like speak out, say what we can do, call the activists, whatever, what may have you. Um, um, Ayana, so kind of just to chime into what you were saying, um, you asked, like, why is it that um, basically when a hype, like a crime is committed or a hypothetical crime is committed, like, you know, news reporters or like the way that um black and brown folks are portrayed as or questioned is like oh like you said like before saying like he's a loving father or a son like i feel like they also have just a bunch of like negative commentary or um like you said like if it's a white person shooting up a school then they say oh there's a mental health issue right um and that immediately brought to mind to me that um the quote of innocent until proven guilty only applies to some people it does not apply to those that are black and brown because we have seen that time and time again this topic this issue is not new this this Mm -hmm. has been going on for centuries our ancestors have endured this and it has continued and it's very baffling to think that you know we're in the 21st century and we are still having this 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 conversation right um why is it that um we we're looked down upon why is it that we're not at the same level as um those folks that are of lighter skin color why is it that it's so important why is it that a color is so important or that we let a, 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 the person the person's skin color define who we are um i think to answer that question like honestly there's a lot of ways i can answer that question but i feel like to first dive in it dive into it we have to understand that we've been a threat since the time that we've been placed on this earth so from the time that we've been brought to this country, we have been exploited. We have been told that we are inferior to the next man. And we have been brainwashed 
into this culture of feeling inferior and in that in turn those people feeling that we're such a threat to them that they have to do by whatever means possible to kill us and keep us in inferior positions and i say that to also realize that the 13th amendment specifically because um i actually just took a class on this recently it's called the um the collateral consequences of the criminal justice system so within this class we basically just dissected how our criminal justice system is this root of generational trauma that is going to continue happening until we realize that mass incarceration and the 13th amendment is the is, is the reason why black men and black women and just black people in general, whether you be a, a black trans or, or a black mix or a black Latino, Afro-Latino, and we'll get into that Afro-Latinos and non-black Latinos soon as well, because I definitely have something to say about that. But you just have to realize that the man that runs our country is the same man that put out a million dollar ad 31 years ago to say that five innocent black boys deserve yes. to be to be exonerated mm -hmm. for a crime that they did not commit. Mm -hmm. So until mm -hmm. we realize that this country was just based on this idea that by any means possible we have to keep these people in inferior positions, like and it, it's everywhere. Like it's literally everywhere. If you look if you look at our mass media, the people that we idolize are not lawyers, they are not they're not judges, they're not people that are in the positions to help us. We're looking at the little baby that's telling us he getting 200 an occasion, right? So what is he doing with that 200 he's getting every occasion? <laughs> okay. Let's really look about it. And, and those are the conversations that we have to be telling our young brothers and sisters because as much as you want to be the next hottest thing and you want to have all the money in the bank, at the end of the day, take away that money, take away that entertainment, take, all, take away all that luxury that that gives to you. You're just another black man and just another black woman to them, and and you're nothing. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. facts. That is facts. I agree with that. Um, me personally, I went to predominantly white um educating systems for majority of my life, and it's like it's really a contrast when you come to a university such as the University at Albany, and it is a PWI, but. I always tell people that you don't have to interact with the white community if you don't have to, because that's how big the black and brown community is. Like the Latino um, and black community is so big and so strong and so proud. And I love to be around that daily because it's like growing up and going to an all white high school, for example, you don't really get a lot of black history, black rights, Africana studies. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, okay, we're going to take one black history class a month or one black history class in the month of February, just because, um, and move on just to, you know, let it known, let it be known that we took the curriculum and each student can pass it. But when you come to college and they have those real conversations about things that are happening right now, it's totally different. I feel like this should be taught in our educating system. Um, like right now we are really living in a textbook. Like we are living, a DBQ questionnaire. Like, I, my kids are going to be writing about 2020. Like, 2020 don't make no damn sense, in my opinion. But I personally feel like this is stuff that we need to talk about. And in high school and elementary school and middle school, we are not talking about that. And it's not it's not a discussion. We're not talking about institutionalized racism. We're not talking about um, systematic racism. We're not talking about any of those things. Instead, we're just talking about, oh, well, slavery happened. Civil rights movement happened. 
and now we're in classrooms together. And I feel like it's just what where is the where's the disconnect? You know what I mean? I gotta tell you exactly where that disconnect is. And, like where is the disconnect? And I actually um I saw a post earlier that says that lawyers have to go to school for over seven years before that they can perfectly master and practice law, but um officers only train for eight weeks prior to being in the field. But you have to understand that the disconnect is that little Tom, Billy, Brad, whoever it is, he's been training in his backyard for years, shooting targets. Mm. He's been sitting at his dinner table and having conversations that's reminding him how superior he is to everybody else. So that exactly is the disconnect. Until we live in a nation where the people that are not directly affected are just as angry and outraged by the things that they see and the things that they are witnessing going around around them nothing is going to change like at the end of the day everybody wants to say this all lives matter you cannot tell me all lives matter when you will literally watch uh, the, the the little white boy that 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 shot up 32 people in a school that they stopped at a burger king before taking that before taking him into the station but you telling me that george floyd allegedly and, and also re realize this, he was accused of using a counterfeit bill. So that means that this problem started from the time he walked into that supermarket or the store. Whoever he interacted with, that cashier, her mentality and the way she views black people is, 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 is the root of the problem there as well. Because then in turn, she decided, you know what? He used a counterfeit bill. I have to call the police. I have to, I have to get this black man just walked in here and tried to disrespect me and use a fake bill. Is he crazy? How could he ever do something so so outrageous? And then, uh, and she she in turn called the police, and that's exactly what happened to him. So we have to remember that these these kids are these same people that are killing us are the ones that are being raised in these environments that remind them that they're superior and that they can do things like this. And Cater, um, just to also add, so um, it's good to like I guess take each case and dissect it, right? So um, with Taylor, the first one, right, um they had a search warrant right cool but what is the issue with the search warrant that um the police officers and um the investigation unit that was coming to the apartment they in the search warrant and had like a discrepancy that said that they didn't need to announce themselves and knock that is hazardous if anyone tries to come into my apartment and i have a legally registered firearm of course i'm going to shoot i'm scared for my life i'm I'm fearful. Mm -hmm. So that's issue number one. Then with Aubrey, um, he was just running in a community, and and it's so called the one of the persons that um committed the murder. He was an ex district um attorney. Like let that shit sink mm -hmm. in, and then they they weren't even arrested until months after the incidents happened. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's only because that video and, got out. And the, the current district attorney, or I guess the ex-district attorney at this point, tried to cover it up because they were friends because of the politics. And mm -hmm. that Lloyd, um, like Taylor was saying, allegedly, they they matched this, they, 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 they intentionally went to this person, to George, because they allegedly said that he was the person they were looking for. For a counterfeit bill, yeah, they don't. What's killing me about that particular video as well is everybody Everyone. was there recording, and and the Asian 
officer is just as wrong as the white officer and that's a whole nother topic for another day i don't want to get into right now but they're literally telling him this man cannot breathe this man cannot breathe and what does he do proceed to kneel deeper into george's neck and it's like what is wrong with you that would make you want to just continue you are on video i don't care if i pick up um five dollars off the floor and somebody records me and they be like oh that's my money and you're on video i'm putting it back down i'm gonna stop because that's naturally you don't want to get caught for doing something that is on video this officer blatantly showed that he does not give an f-u-c or a k he does not care because this is america and this is his world and we are all just living in it and all these people were practicing their social distancing they had their masks on they're trying to let him know and he just kept on kept keeping on and i just feel like that's That's ridiculous ridiculous. like i'm outraged like i don't know what else to say like I have, I have no it's words. Very, it's very tough to think that, you know, um, we see a crime and like you said, we just record it instead of chiming in mm-hmm. and helping. And I think that's something that we need to advocate for. I'm here for the protests and I'm here um, to make our voices heard. But we also need to look at our actions as bystanders mm-hmm. because that's something that could have been mm-hmm. avoided. Mm-hmm. If there was 10, 20 people, all right, gang up on those cops. Fuck that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. um, all right, you see, you trying, trying, trying to kill my brother that I don't know, but I clearly like you're you're using extra power. So I'm a I'm, extra, yeah, extra force. force. Mm-hmm. Like, then I'm coming for you. That's something that we need to um work towards together, like empowering one another and making sure that we're protecting each other. I feel as though I definitely agree with the bystander nature. The bystanders are really just as wrong. However, I feel like in this instance, I feel like it was good. I don't know. I always feel like there's there's a little good with at least one person recording. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But it's like, you know, like all those people versus those two officers. Again, because the system is built against us, everybody's internally afraid of Mm -hmm. the police which is sad because we're supposed to see police and be like wow these are the people that are that are risking their lives for us daily they're our protectors and no we fear them so it's like those two men alone had all those people who were standing there speaking out and saying what they had to say afraid to put excessive force on them as well because you see how quickly that officer took George Floyd's life they would not be afraid to shoot at anybody in this crowd or mace, or tase, or tear gas. Right. And it's sad. So I understand what you mean with the bystander, but we gotta understand, too, a lot of people fear the police. Uh, And as unfortunate as it is, the most that they'll feel comfortable doing is recording. And putting that on the media outlets so that they can then, you know, see where we try to zoom in on the videos and get that officer's name and face and badge and things like that and pull up to his house and ruin his life and stuff like that. But a lot of people right then and there Mm -hmm. freeze up and they will not. I don't blame them, but I do wish that this wasn't how we have to live. You know what I I mean? I feel like once if we start and once we start acting like that say for example we did live in a world where people did retaliate against the police i feel like as a police force they would start wearing riot gear on the regular they would start wearing Mm -hmm. or carrying certain objects and things that they won't usually carry 
to defend themselves mm-hmm. because now they see they see everyone as a threat if everyone came at the police like mm-hmm. that. And I see more deaths happening that way as well. I, it's it's a touchy subject because it's just like you don't know what to do in that situation and we can't well i can't personally speak like that because i have never been in a situation like that i only only see it via social media one thing i did want to address was the point that kayla brought up about you know these kids growing up with these ideologies me in college i was discriminated against in my dorm room my freshman year and i wanted to call my roommate out mm-hmm. on a, about it because but then I had to realize, so basically the situation was, she was explaining to her mom that me and my roommate, who is also black, um, she described us as being black or black, black. This is what her mother was asking her, if we were black or black, black. And I had to sit and mm-hmm. like think to myself, I'm like, wait, I can't even come at you right now because it's your own mother that's saying it's starting mm-hmm. from the home. So even if I school you right now, you still go back home to Westchester and your lovely home with your lovely mother who thinks that people are black or black, black. What the F is the difference? So when you mm-hmm. when there's people out here, there's always going to be a Karen. There's always going to be a Bob and a Billy. But I feel like the change needs mm-hmm. to be implemented within education. That in itself mm-hmm. is effed up for us. It's not built for us to succeed. But once we start implementing... Mm-hmm curriculums that are nationwide and, and and implementing things that everybody has to abide by right every state has their own rules and regulations and stuff no f that it needs to be a government written down burned in paper like everybody needs to abide by the same thing and learn the same thing if we teach people, if we exactly teach people the things to do instead of calling the cops there's a post about that uh ayana i'll send it to you to include there's a whole post about things to do okay. instead of calling the cops. And I read every single one. And it's just like, this is like common sense. And I was talking to Kayla earlier too. Being a cop is all about discretion. You can, in that moment, you choose whether or not to arrest somebody or let them go. I was watching a, mm-hmm. the show, The Little Fires Everywhere. It, one episode was titled 70 Cents. The Asian woman, she went into the store. She was 70 cents short and um for buying formula and the white woman at the register said get the f out try breastfeeding it's free later on in the show the white daughter of one of the rich people she got on the bus and she was 70 cents short but the white man let her go so it's all about like well and the white woman was going to call the cops on the asian lady and it's just like why are you calling the cops for 70 cents there's things in this, mm-hmm. like, I, I just don't get it. Like, why is everybody 911 happy? Why are you so happy to call a cop? Because it's basically them pulling the trigger. For example, just the other day, that woman in Central Park um, going to look at this man and literally say, I'm going to call the police and I'm going to tell them an African-American man is threatening me and my dog's life. I personally feel like she was trying to send him a little like nana and a boo boo like warning sign when she put on that little code and that little voice saying i'm gonna tell them an african-american man you know what i mean she picked up that phone in central park and made it seem as if this man was putting her in harm's way in nature's way and all he did was record her because she was walking her dog off the leash in the park and it is against the the community the community rules she was in the wrong um, I feel like just to you know backtrack a lot because you guys, I was just gathering everything you guys were saying. But first and foremost, 
I just want to touch on the officer, and I'm, we're going to name him at this point. So his name is Derek Chauvin, okay? okay? Derek Chauvin is not new to this. He is true to this, and I just really want y'all to understand what I mean, okay? I'm, I'm going to read you some facts. First and foremost, the restraint techniques that he was using, as in being on that man's neck, that is not, and that is not part of the, any type of technique that they teach in the academy. So he was freestyling mm -hmm. with that one, and he knew exactly what he was doing. Okay, mm -hmm. back to my second, now to go on. He is also the same man that shot an unarmed black man in 2008 and was acquitted of those charges. Okay, great. Let's, let's, let's keep going. Chauvin was also one of the officers that murdered Wayne Reyes, which is a Latino man with 16 bullets put into him. 16 bullets. One man. Okay, I just also want you guys to understand that he's being represented by Tom Kelly, which is the attorney that got Ger Geronimo Yans, Yan, who murdered Philando Castle. That same man that got that man acquitted, he's going to be represented by that attorney. This, this cycle of comfortability is because they get away with it all the time. He was so comfortable knowing that he was being recorded at all of those angles and he did not move because he knew that he was going to get away with it and nobody was going to do anything but record him. I was having this debate with somebody earlier and everybody is so quick to say, well, you know, we can't help because now that's just one more person that's going to get arrested or that's one more person that's going to die in that very moment. But the price of freedom is death. My life is not mm -hmm. any more meaningful, meaningful than the next man. Harriet Tubman sacrificed her life and let all those frees to slay them to freedom. And that's why I can sit in the position I am and have these conversations with you guys and even be able to debate things like that because she decided, you know what? I love my people so much that I'm going to put myself in this position because I want all of them to be able to get to freedom. It took the Malcolm X and the Martin Luther King and the Rosa Parks. Like, and I feel like that's what people are failing to realize. Until you're willing to step up in those very moments and take those steps to show these people I'm serious, I'm not going to continue letting you kill my brothers and sisters, nothing is going to change. All of those men were very comfortable. The, the Asian officer, which his name is, uh, I, you know, I'm not even going to mess it up. He said, when the guy said he can't breathe, the, the, the man behind the camera is saying, yo, my man, like, I know you see him on his neck. He's saying he can't breathe. The officer simply responded, but he's still talking. It's just all those little things like they also there's studies that show people literally believe black people can endure more pain than the than the normal human and, and still be OK. So there's just all those little things that you have to pay attention to and realize that these roots are, are deep. They're very deep and we can't just continue. Wait, of course, education is a great way to change this. I, I don't doubt education. I'm going to use my education to change and be embody the change I want to see. But I also know that it's going to take somebody to make a difference today, somebody to do something tomorrow, next week, next month. I can't wait until I graduate in a year to now go and start making those steps to make the changes that I want. Like I have to start today. And what does that mean? That the next time that we see somebody in trouble, let's try putting down the camera for one time and see if we can actually change something in that moment. Because we're so quick to say what's going to happen, but you don't know until you take that step to try. Mm -hmm. And that's bottom line. Um, and Kayla, you said something about, like, you know, you can't wait to, I guess, go out into the real world and, like, 
I guess start implementing a little bit more of like the changes that you want to see in the world because you are so um, an undergraduate and you're soon about to graduate. Um, I, and I would like to also hear from Ashley once I say um, my point here. Um, so I, me and Ashley, we both graduated last um, year, 2019. Um, so oh me too me too sis sorry and ayana <laughs> but um <laughs> in terms of like i guess our job scope um it's about it's, it's officially been a year since i graduated so like i want to hear from you guys and your accounts of like what has that been right how has that been how has that i guess impacted um a, a change in what we want to see so like i had said earlier like i work for uh, for a nonprofit. Um, and the nonprofit that I work for, I love it. Like, I honestly truly do love my job because I am surrounded by people that are also trying to, um, commit to changing the world, I guess, and making it a better place. Of course, we're located in New York city, so we can only do that, um, at a very limited capacity. Um, but it's been a year since I graduated. I started this job in November, so it's been a couple of months since I'm in this position, but, I feel like I can be doing more. So that's kind of like just the way that I feel. Um, the reality of things is that um, this issue goes beyond what we can measure, right? So I feel like there's different levels to this. So I know we spoke a little bit about education and I agree, we need a better education system for our um, impoverished communities. Um, so for those of you that don't know and wonder how are, how does school get funding, right? So in 2007, something was created and it was called the Fair Student Funding Formula, which basically would add, would um, try to figure out a way how, um, I guess, low-income communities would be getting uh, a better adequate amount of money um, to better suit um, the needs of these students. However, since 2007, and remember, we're in shitty-ass 2020, um, since 2007, this um, budget system has not been working. Um, just last year alone, in 2019, only 23% of New York City schools received the funding that um, they should be getting, or a little bit above. Only 23% of the schools in New York City. Um, what? Question mark? So what I am saying with that is that, and you know, my sister um, and my close friend, they're both teachers. Um, they both work out of the Bronx. Um, and they have to buy things out of pocket in order to, I guess, have a better learning experience for their um, students. So what does that have to tell you? That from birth, since the moment we are in school, our lives are already at stake. Why? Because the, the, the government that oversees our livelihood doesn't even care enough to put money into the schools that are supposed to be educating us and um, help, helping us, I guess, have a better chance or better success at life. So for those folks that um, question, well, why was Floyd hypothetically um, using a counterfeit, um, a counterfeit bill, like, who are you to question that? Who are you? He, maybe he could have been using it. Maybe he could have not. Maybe he was a wrong person. No one knows. But just tying it back to the, like, the education, and it's just um, from birth, our lives are already fucked up. 
and that is that is very unreal to, to to me to think that in 2020 we're still going through this um furthermore mm-hmm. there's like there's ivy league schools or their specialized high schools um that are predominantly white that again are having resources that we do not like why why again because our government does not care about us why is it that 23% of the schools are, are only got the funding that they needed and like ayana said i too was um a part of i was an intern at the new york state assembly which is one of the lawmaking bodies of new york state um and i was a part of like this calm rally that was going on in the assembly chambers where um each assembly member was saying the amount of or like shouting the amount of money that was owed to their school districts and i'm not talking about no chump change about oh um five thousand dollars six thousand dollars no i'm talking about several hundreds of thousands of dollars being owed to school districts from the bronx from queens from brooklyn from Staten island it's it's not the places that that um have specialized high schools that are owed this money it's our people so like that to me is just it's 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 appalling and it's very sad and um just to kind of close the loop on the rant that I'm going off here is that I I believe in education and I believe that the key to all of this is for us to rise up and take this challenge. I would like to see more of more folks of color, um, more Latinos in positions of power what that means is i want to see people in the white house i want to see people in the house of representatives in the assembly in the senate at local state Mm -hmm. federal government because that is the way we're going to turn this around protesting is not enough we need to be the ones creating the laws Mm -hmm. we need to be the ones um sitting at the table and challenging the, the the stupid policies that are coming about look at this whole pandemic that we're in who is suffering the most not the billionaires, not the millionaires. Mm-hmm. No, it's us. It's small businesses. What right at the beginning of the of the of the pandemic, who was suffering the most? Communities in Queens, low income communities. Now it's moved on to Bronx. Low income communities. Mm-hmm. They're trying to destroy us since forever, and enough is enough. That's a fact. Okay, so I just spinning off of Eileen real quick, I have two totally different questions. My first question is being as though you do identify as a um, Latin American woman, that's how I would say Hispanic woman. Um, how do you feel about the community, like people in the community not speaking out versus those that do? And um, my second question is also, how do you feel and the second question is for everyone, or both questions are for everyone. How do you feel about, um, like you see how Eileen is saying we need to become the lawmakers, we need to join the assembly, things like that. How do you feel about Black people who say they want to be a police officer because they want to implement yeah. the changes? You get what I'm saying? Like, kind of the same concept. So those um, are my guess, two questions oh, for you guys. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, so I can speak on the people in power, Black people in power, and black people becoming police officers because I see it firsthand. Again, I work for the district attorney of Albany and he is a black man. Um, we do, we are one of the very few district attorney offices that have a restorative justice um, program, which that means 
people who commit class A misdemeanors, whether that's noise ordinance or open container, petty larceny, graffiti, disorderly conducts, possessions of controlled substances, just marijuana, and small other things, people are not receiving jail time. They receive this program where it involves community ser service, restorative justice, and being talked to by community members. So many of these people, when I tell you, young black men, actually have a paper written by one of them, and I'll just read an excerpt from it, um, if I can find it. Well, I guess not. I'll get back to that. But just talking about people in power and black people in power, we need to be the lawmakers because when we sit in those rooms and they feel uncomfortable, the fact that they feel uncomfortable is a problem, one. Two, we need to, you need to feel uncomfortable. They need to feel uncomfortable so that they can see what energy and what what they're putting <laughs> what they're putting out in the atmosphere and i just feel like when i'm sorry i'm going on a rant on a tangent but back to just black people becoming officers and lawmakers <laughs> using the da as an example um he implemented this program called cab and there's also a felony youth di diversion program, which is for ages 16 to 24 that commit nonviolent felonies as well. It's a two-year program. It's a wonderful program. And these people come out so different. When I tell you, they they talk to me and they're like, I never understood why somebody, a stranger like yourself, would want to help me and and, you know, just see better. Because at the end of the day, when you really think about it, getting arrested is number four on their list. Getting food, getting money, paying bills, mm -hmm. and supporting their family—that's their first, that's their priority. Getting arrested doesn't doesn't matter to some people because they have other things that they need to do in order to survive. And sometimes committing a crime is their only way and means to get to that end result, just for survival purposes. And that's because our community, the communities that they live in, formulate these situations for them that they—that's their only choices. They don't have a good education to fall back on. They don't have, they live in food deserts. Homelessness, for example, that's an invisible problem. Team homelessness is people sleeping on couches, house to house, you know, doing things in order just to get by. And being arrested and having a case is not their top priority. And these programs are out here to help alleviate so that they can get that GED, they could get that education, they can do things and get a job so that they don't have a record. Now, I say this because why is he the only DA, well, one of the very few DAs that have this program? Why isn't this a national initiative? Why is there a, a sub-program in Brooklyn called Common Justice? Why, they, why do they have to partner with the Brooklyn DA over there? Why isn't this something that's nationally recognized? Why, isn't, why aren't these you know, po uh, community policing, why isn't that a national recognized curriculum for all police departments to follow by? You see, these things are, are growing in small areas, but they always stop. There's a glass ceiling within these programs that, you know, they're not reaching in other cities or they're not reaching to national levels. Why is that? Because they know that once these programs will flourish and be implemented on a larger scale, then Black people will start flourishing. They don't want that. They don't want that. So when we start entering and, you know, walking into these rooms and these spaces, that's when they're just going to be like, oh, skunt, wait, well, what's going on here? Hello. Hi. <laughs> yes. So we need to start entering these spaces mm -hmm. so that we can implement these programs and these initiatives on a larger scale 
so that we can uh, that then help our communities out. And to better. Just to jump in real quick before someone else goes and talks as well. Um, just to double back on Ashley's real, th- real quick. Um, I was actually fortunate enough to intern in a program similar to what Ashley is discussing in Harlem. And it is also located in Brooklyn. Um, and it was called Cases Slash Choices. It's for, you know, a similar thing where it's children age 10 to, I want to say 16, who have um, committed a crime, nonviolent crime, violent crime, et cetera, they can come here as a rehabilitation rather than going straight to juvie. You know what I mean? A lot of them don't have that option, and a lot of them are just automatically sent away and demonized mm-hmm. for taking candy from the store. Um, one girl that I was able to get very close with during the duration of the program because she did, in fact, you know, learn from her mistake was she stole an umbrella because it was raining outside and she didn't have enough money to go and buy an umbrella and it's just little things like that because because the judge she had was so willing to place her into this program rather than giving her a ticket giving her a fine putting this on her record things like that you know for theft and things of that nature and it's like like Ashley was saying why aren't these programs worldwide why aren't these programs in more you know areas that are necessary and i'm a young woman from harlem i went to harlem twitter zone and i soaked up every single piece of knowledge from harlem twitter zone and that has made me into the educated black and woman i am today as well because harlem twitter zone is set in place to make sure that we stay off the block and we get into the books and we get active and get educated you know and it's like an after school so that was just me jumping in um <laughs> but like i like i was asking how do you guys feel about black people or you know hispanic people joining into areas of power or into you know positions of power that we shy and shun from such as becoming police officers such as becoming lawyers judges things like that because they are given a negative connotation but it's because like you know of what we're seeing i personally when i was growing up wanted to be a defense attorney for a very long time because i always said i wanted to help people rather than harm them I was able to enter with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office in high school, and I met a lot of prosecutors, and that rubbed me the wrong way because I feel like those are the people who are locking these people up. It is their job to convict you of the crime. So I wouldn't want to be that person, but at the same time, it's like, wow, a Black woman as a prosecutor, maybe she can jump in and make a change. Maybe she can lessen the charges. Maybe instead of going to prisons or sending people to prisons automatically, she can put these people in these rehab centers. You know what I'm saying? So how do you right? And that goes to show that programs like this is a barrier because we have to educate. I educate the assistant district attorneys on cases that will seem valuable for the program. So I just actually pulled up a survey. And again, I go back to this barrier. Now there's no reason why if there's a case in court for somebody stealing a pack of candy, you sending them to jail or they have the option of completing this program. Now there's this barrier like that's in place between jail and 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 them in court, which is this program. So having that kind of cushion pillow pillow area, show, again, it goes back to discretion. It's up to you to decide. Like, okay, so you just stole this pack of candy. Hmm. Jail time, or you can do this community service, and you could get this misdemeanor charge dropped off of your record. 
it's all about up to discretion. So having these options laid out for people to choose from, and it's it sucks that you have somebody here that that chooses your fate on the behalf of a city or or a county or a state. So it's just like your your life is in somebody's hands. But when you start laying out different options, that's when they they take take a step back and be like, all right, maybe we can help this individual. So I have a, a survey that because we do a post survey at the end of the the two month process. So this individual, he was a young man. Um, he brought a weapon to school because he was being bullied, got arrested, um, and he was you know granted to be in my program. So it said, he said that the question is, as a result of my involvement in the CAB program, um, how can I be more involved in my community? He says that I can go back and volunteer every now and then and, and help the people out that I helped out at the church. As a result of my involvement in CAB, I plan to pursue an educational or employment goal. I plan to attend trade school in September. And his um, response was, thank you guys for a second chance to correct myself. I took this as a blessing. It could have been much worse. And I'm very grateful for this program because now I don't have a record. So things like that just warm my heart because it's just like we were able to give you a second chance for a little mistake that you made. And the fact that there's people that don't have that opportunity, it just makes me so sad. So that's that's my take on that um so um, i previously mentioned where i interned but um i guess i didn't specify i actually worked directly alongside ashley so a lot of the things that she's talking about i can definitely you know second and attest to i actually had a conversation with one of the um the young men that came out of the program and you know in the midst of us you know i, I attended his graduation ceremony and it was such a moving like just a moving moment for me like just sitting in that in that room and just being able to hear how he said, like, you know, like I, I come from a place where second chances don't come around a lot. And the fact that I was able to get mm -hmm. one, I, I can't fail you and I cannot fail myself. And just hearing him say that just really like took me to a place. And it's just like, wow, like, like there's really people that it's really us or them. And, and, and we don't really think about it, like think about it like that, but we really have to just step back and just really realize that these programs are what is what is going to save us and implementing them on a national level is what is going to be a part of that change that we all want to see um i also feel i also want to touch on another question that i feel like we kind of strayed away from a little bit um ayana asked about how do we feel about the um non-afro-latinos and the you know other people of the hispanic community that kind of don't speak up when things like this are happening. Um, I personally feel like it's a slap in the face because if I know anything, all the Hispanic people that I know love to say the N-word. They love to wear box braids. They love black men. They love summertime because they get a little tan and they have a little more melanin in their skin. <laughs> so it, it, it really just takes me to a place where it's like, all right, you seem like you like everything that comes with me when it's beneficial. But when 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 things mm -hmm. happen that make you uncomfortable, you're really silent. And it's not until today that I posted on my Instagram, Dare Non-Black Friends, 
I am taking heed to your silence at this time. It is not until then that I saw a lot of my Hispanic friends now reposting the same stuff that they were watching on my story for going on now two days. You understand? So it's just taking heed to things like that. I know Spanish girls, let me not say that, Hispanic women that tell me they only like black men, that they only date black men, but the only post that you could put up is dear black man, I love you. Oh, because you feel guilty because you laid down and had sexual relations with that man. And now that the world is in an uproar to defend other men that look like him, you're being very silent. So I just feel like black men also need to take heed to that, that these same women that you idolize and you fantasize over and you love the foreign mommy's got pop smoke, all of that. Like you have to, like it gets to a point where it's like, yeah, all of that's cool but you're just an accessory to her. You're just an accessory to her. And mm-hmm. that's all I'm going to say on that because I could go on for a very long time. Um, So I guess I'll say my last few points because I am a Latinx um, individual and I am of a lighter skin complexion and I have green eyes. So I look very different, I guess, than um the beautiful, um, luscious ladies on this podcast. And personally, <laughs> First, um, like for me, for me, I um experience a different type of racism. So my racism that I experience is that I am an immigrant. So I was brought. I'm a dreamer. I'm a DACA recipient. I was brought here as a child or as a baby per se, and home to me is New York, specifically New York City. Um, so you know, just to kind of share that we all have um, I guess these distinct um issues that we are dealing with on our own. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is because although I have this, like, I guess, specific issue that I have to deal with, which is like an immigration status, this, that, and the third, I will never know how it feels to be a black woman or a black man walking around the United States. And that's, that's period. Um, so for those people that think that they know how it feels to be a person of color, please stop. Please stop jacking that you understand. Please Please stop saying the N-word. Well, I disagree with that. You know why? Because Mm. I say it a lot. Like, on a more conversational level. Like, at the end of the day, I'm from the hood. And I grew up in Highbridge. And I'm from the Bronx. So, the N-word, I feel like it's a a sensitive topic. Why? Because, um, well, I feel like specifically, more or less, like, for a white person to say it, I think it's offensive. I feel like if a Hispanic person says it, I don't think so because I feel like where I where I grew up, it was primarily Black and Latinos, and that's how I grew up. That's some that's a part of my culture. That is who I am, um, and I use it very often. I mean, now not as often, more like around friends and stuff like that. Um, so for me, that topic is a little bit shaky, and I don't want to be a hypocrite about it because I use the word. I've used it in conversation with you, Kaylee, specifically, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, not to cut you off, though, but I just feel like the difference between you and the rest of the Hispanic community, though, is that you're doing, you're taking the moves that you need to stand up for people that look like me. You understand what yeah. I'm saying? So you could use the word because when it comes down to it, you're going to, you're like, you understand what that means and you're going to stand up for me and you're going to defend me. But the the person, the, the young lady, the Hispanic man that, is being very silent during these times. Mm-hmm. The next time you turn to me, you try to say, "Oh yeah, what's up? I'm gonna look at you like, don't say that to me because 
when it was time for you to stand up and, and really understand what that word meant, you were mighty silent. So now stay silent too. So I, I'm, I'm going to say my last rebuttal so that I'm possibly, you know, we're going to have to request Ayana to do another podcast on like, I guess the next <laughs> I haven't touched upon my actual points, but I was going to like, <laughs> um, so you specifically said, you know, for those people, like I'm, I'm the exception, right? So there's like for other, I guess other Hispanics, and I don't want to just limit it to Hispanics. I want to say for the other people, um, that fall into the category of not speaking up. Um, and I hope this is not offensive, but what about those people that are, I guess are black and are whitewashed and they're not speaking up because they are married to a white man or they're married to mm -hmm. a white family and they may feel like they can't speak on the topic because, well, I'm married to Mr. Smith over here. So that's something to yeah, think about. Like sometimes we have to be very careful with the way we express ourselves because we sometimes um I guess speak specifically about a group of people, but sometimes we're all at fault. It's not only Hispanics, it's all it's, it's Asians, it's you know, all these it, we're a melting pot. Mm -hmm. Like we we are composed of many, many, many races and um ethnicities that use the N-word. So that's something, you know, for all of us for who, Yes. but just to end my note about where i wanted to kind of get across um because um we're going off on a tangent is things that we should be thinking about mass incarceration who are the people behind bars black and latinos um education who are the ones suffering black and latinos housing i work specifically for brooklyn and um bronx housing court cases guess who are the people that i see in court the most black and latinos Three very important things to someone's livelihood, a stable roof over their head, an education to get them to the pathway of success, and the idea of that for us Black and Latinos, innocent until proven guilty does not matter because who are the ones being um, literally thrown behind bars at an accelerated um, speed? black and latinos so in summation for me i stand up and i joined this movement i've been on this movement i like ariana has posted before like in my social media i post resources for our community i speak against um all these um in like i guess how do i say it i speak for for us because i know that we are more valuable than I guess these white folks think that we are, um, and I and and I ask that other people that are chiming into this podcast join us. Repost important things other than what Kim Kardashian is doing. Repost those resources. Like I've put up mm -hmm. that NYCHA of building residents are getting ACs. There's things that are called called one shot deals for people that are in rent arrears. For those of you that's not that doesn't know that what's rent arrears is people that owe money because they can't even afford to pay their rent because guess what in New York City or New York you need to make forty times what you're making um in income in salary to to afford your own apartment. Many of us that have bachelor's and master's degree we're getting paid money not enough to even own our own, our own apartment, and we out here paying a thousand five hundred for a studio that doesn't even have a real room get a grip let's make a difference let's let's become those lawmakers let's become those um law enforcers and let's 
make this change happen. We don't need this change to happen in a year and two. We need it to happen now. Amen. Amen. Um, I think this is a great segue into ending off. Um, I just want to say thank you guys once again for joining me today to discuss this. Um, it's really something that needs to be talked about more often than none. You know, a lot of group chats are more focused on the gossip and not really what's hot in the news right now. So this is, I'm glad we were able to do this. Um, like I said, I really love Beyonce. So I want to end off with a statement from the Queen Bee herself. <laughs> and then I'll be a little more serious. Yeah. But Beyonce said... <laughs> We are sick and tired of the killings of young men and women in our communities. It is up to us to take a stand and demand that they stop killing us. We don't need sympathy. We need everyone to respect our lives. We're going to stand up as a community and fight against anyone who believes that murder or any violent action by those who are sworn to protect us should consistently go unpunished. These robberies of lives make us feel helpless and hopeless, but we have to believe that we are fighting for the rights of the next generation for the next young men and women who believe in good. This is a human fight, no matter your race, gender, or sexual orientation. This is a fight for anyone who feels marginalized, who is struggling for freedom and for human rights. This is not a plea to all police officers, but toward any human being who fails to value life. The war on people of color and all minorities needs to be over. Fear is not an excuse and hate will not win. We all have the power to channel our anger and frustration into action. We must use our voices to contact the po politicians and legislators in our districts and demand social and judicial changes. Also with that, that was Beyonce, y'all. With that, um, ways to help. I've seen this pop up on Instagram just now. If you guys want to help, you can text Floyd to the phone number 55156. Um, and you can follow the Instagram at color of change. And you can also sign the petition from at char, nope, change.org to reach out to the mayor, um, Mayor Jacob Frey. And lastly, you guys know I'm from Harlem. So there is going to be a rally to end modern day lynching Saturday, May 30th at 1 p.m. on 2-5th and 7th. If you're from Harlem, you know what I'm saying. If you're not on 125th Street and Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard, um, this is Harlem Solidarity for George Floyd. It is a fight back against police and vigilante, vigilante killing of black men, women, and children. We must build a mass movement. Um, they do ask that you practice social That's distancing wonderful. and wear a mask, and they will have masks avail available. The volunteers volunteers are needed, guys, if you're listening, and this will be organized by Harlem's Coalition Opposing Modern Day Lynching. So thank you all for listening. I will tag all these lovely ladies' social media, but if you guys <laughs> want to jump in and just say goodnight, good morning, good morrow, whatever, to the group. I don't know what time these people are going to listen, but, you know, if you want to just drop a quick spiel, this has You're gone welcome. way long, and I'm so thank happy. It was so good. Us. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to thank you to everybody. If you got to the end of this, you are amazing, and you're going to make big changes by, in the world because you listened, and now you understand why all of this is, should be so important to you. Um, I just want to, again, thank you for being my lovely colleagues and counterparts. I'm so happy I could have these insightful conversations with women as great as you. Women as great as you, exactly so once again i just want to give a big thank you and a big shout out actually 
to Eileen, Ashley, and Kayla for joining me today. Um, I know this topic was a lot to um, discuss and a lot to weigh into and digest. So I just want to thank you guys so much for having the maturity and, um, you know, just being present and joining in on the conversation. You can follow all of these lovely ladies. Eileen is at Blissful Alley. Um, Ashley is at Golden Lee and at Golden Lee TV. And Kayla is at Take It Up A Notch. I will be tagging them below on the Instagram page. So be sure to check it out. Thank you all once again so much for listening and tuning in. I hope you're already subscribed. But if not, www.sciencesean.com and following the Instagram at Science Season for all updates. Democracy, liberty, and justice were revolutionary code names that preceded the bubbling, 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 bubbling in the mother country's crotch. What does Webster say about soul? All I want is a good home and a wife and a children and some food to feed them every night. After all is said and done, build a new route to China if they'll have you. Who will survive in America? Who will survive in America? Who will survive in America? Who will survive in America?